Good morning, good afternoon, good night, good whatever it may be for you right now. This is Lose the Taboo on Mental Health with Jared Cash. Buckle up, get ready, we going for a ride. Welcome back to another episode of Lose the Taboo on Mental Health. I'm joined today by a a friend that has been a friend of my wife Jessica and myself for, I don't know, maybe close to 10 years, if not 10 years around there. Uh, She's also an LPC, which is a licensed professional counselor, so going to have great insight for us today. I've got Amalia Everett. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to do this and to be a part of what you're doing to break the stigma on mental health. I know that we've come a long way, but we're still, you know, we still have a long way to go to Definitely. break that taboo for sure. Yeah, great. Well, I'd say that uh, I probably use Molly at times just because I'm so used to it. I always, I, I've referred to Molly as Molly for so many years. So if I use that interchangeably, then uh, just know that I'm talking to the same person. It's just me and her recording this right now. <laughs> but Amalia has a beautiful family, a stud husband named Zach, Zachary, uh, and two beautiful kids, Zachary Jr. and Isabel. We, like I said, uh, I've known Molly for almost 10 years, and seeing her and Jessica together is so much fun because they bring out the crazy side of each other kind of to the max. So uh, you'll always see something fun with them, but... Uh, we've just kind of, our families have grown together. We've been there each step of the way with different career paths. And it's neat now to be able to sit down and be able to get your insight, your perspective. Uh, Amalia has dealt with mental illness herself, and she'll dive into that a little bit. So she's got a perspective there, but she's also got a perspective as being a licensed professional counselor. And so that's the part that I'm really interested to see how we can understand that a little bit better and and what that's going to do for any of us that are struggling with mental illness or have a loved one that's struggling with mental illness. So I do want to ask, how long have you been a counselor now? Oh, um, I always, I always think that's a trick question because I've been doing it for a really long time. Um, just a ballpark. Just a ballpark. I would say about seven years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So seven years, probably was when it, you know, started kind of doing part-time type work. And then obviously, um, probably around 2015 is when I really, um, went full swing and made it a complete career. Great. And what is it that led you to want to pursue this particular job? It's kind of interesting because I actually had a really cool, um, counselor as, um, my high school guidance counselor that I really enjoyed. And she really helped me, um, kind of helped mold me and really gave me a lot of hope that I could be, um, an educated woman in the world. Um, I really didn't think college was an option before her. Um, and so she kind of motivated me to go to college. So that was when the seed was planted, but obviously there was more things that happened in college that kind of made that decision a lot more clear. That's so neat. We never quite know the difference we're making in people's lives. And for you, you weren't sure if you were going to go to college. And because of this lady, I'm assuming it was a lady or a man? It was a man, oh, a woman, sorry. A woman. Um, uh, because of her 
and being a part of it, not only did you go and go to college, but you ended up going and getting your master's and now you're helping people. So it's Mm -hmm. so cool. We never quite know the difference that we might be making in someone's life. But I do want to ask when it comes to counseling, I know that there are a lot of different types of counseling and there's different reasons why people go to counseling. And so I do have to ask, is mental illness a common cause for someone coming into counseling? So it's definitely one of the top reasons why people come to counseling. Um, A lot of the times they really don't know that they have a mental illness Mm. and they are just having these, you know, emotional symptoms or maybe even physical symptoms that they don't really know what they are. And um, so sometimes we are the first stop, you know, for some of these people to understand what's kind of going on with them. And so they come to us or me and I'm able to help them navigate that and see, you know, is it just some, a situational thing that we can talk through and work through, or is it really something that's more chemical or something that's more long-term that actually maybe needs medication or a diagnosis? Wow. That's really interesting. So let's say someone comes in and they either know that they have mental illness or they come in kind of unsure and you guys find out that, yeah, there's probably something chemical here. There's a something more than just circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the most common aspects of mental illness for either one of those situations that you, you typically would see in counseling? So two of the most common, I would say, disorders that I see are anxiety and depression. Okay. Um, I think they're so common and you would think that people would... Um, kind of pick up on those symptoms and know that that's what they're dealing with. But unless you're actually experiencing it, sometimes you just don't know and you need someone who actually does have insight into those um, situations and those disorders to be able to tell you, hey, that's very normal and this is what's kind of going on. And you either have to see your doctor, psychiatrist, or, you know, sometimes counseling works on its own. It just really depends. Yeah. No, that's that's really interesting uh, to hear that everyone's kind of got different journeys that are coming into mm-hmm. a counseling session. Uh, I know that for myself for a long time and when I talk to people, there are tons of misconceptions about what counseling looks like, the purpose of it, what actually happens, like what what is the counselor doing or what's the the aim of a counselor, you know, some people might have the thought of I'm going to lay on a couch in a dark room and share all of my personal (laughs) secrets or this counselor is going to tell me exactly how to live my life, everything I'm doing wrong. Uh, But we know that those two aren't true. So Mm -hmm. what actually does counseling look like and what's the role of a counselor? So I always get that question a lot, and that's actually a thought that people have very, very often is that you're going to lay on the couch immediately and tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. And I do, don't get me wrong, I do hear a lot of deep, dark secrets that maybe um, they're not willing to tell family members or friends because of, for whatever reason, whatever the reason is. Um, But I always say that's like the Hollywood um, way of interpreting what a counselor does. Um, there were psychotherapists, you know, back in the day who really did long-term counseling for years and years. And you did lie on the couch and kind of do, um, the whole Hollywood, um, scenario, but really it's, 
it's very different. You know, you do build a relationship with your counselor. You sit in a comfortable room. Um, there is no judgment. Um, it's actually, there is a couch. I will say there is a couch, <laughs> but you don't have to lay down if you don't want to. Um, it's just a comfortable environment that's somewhere where you can be honest with yourself and with someone else because sometimes you can't be that with everyone and not everybody understands what you're going through. And, you know, a lot of us are obviously trained. All of us are trained, but a lot of us are have experienced our own, um, you know, journey with mental illness. So we can empathize in that way too. So I would say that that was, would be... Um, more what it's like is, you know, a non-judgmental environment where you can really just be yourself. And instead of the counselor looking and saying, hey, I have all the answers. This is what you need to do with your life. How does that actually look? What is the counselor? How is the counselor working with the person that's seeking help? So I, my motto is I want to take you, I want to help you and take you through the steps to get you to where you want to be. Um, your goals may be completely different from what I would do. Um, so it's just, it's everybody, everybody's different. Just like everybody likes different pizza or different foods. It's the same thing with counseling. Everybody has different goals. And my job is to help you get to where you want to be, um, not where I want you to be. And so um, we're definitely trained to offer suggestions and to give you tips and tricks and skills to navigate um, challenges in your life because it's not a matter of if you're going to experience those challenges, it's when because everybody has challenges um, in their lives. And some, you know, a lot of the people that come to us, yeah, they have mental illness, but some of them don't. And some of them just have this really hard thing that they don't know how to navigate. And so that's what we do. We give suggestions, tips, tricks, skills. And at the end of the day, it's up to the person to use those um, things that you learn in your sessions. So that you saying that right there kind of goes to my next question of is counseling effective for every single person? So that is a very good question, but it's a very um, multifaceted question because it really depends on the person. So you have to really want to be there um, is what I've come to realize and what I've experienced in my own career is that the people that really want to be there, that really want the help will do what it takes and they will put the work in it because I'm a fraction of your life. I'm a very, very, very small portion of your life. I see you once a week for an hour, maybe, um, and sometimes less, sometimes a little more, but the majority of your life is lived in your home, in your job, with your friends, with your family. And so my job is to help you um, navigate your life. But at the end of the day, that person has to be willing to implement those skills and those tips, tricks, and those techniques in their everyday life for it to actually work. Um, 
And I'm sure that happens a lot, you know, where someone is forced to go to counseling yeah, and they don't want to be there. They're not willing to use anything or even have Mm -hmm. a discussion. So at that point, it wouldn't be effective. It's not effective if you really don't want to be there. So if you don't want to make the change, um, then it's, it really doesn't, um, do what it's supposed to, um, I, I had a teenager one time tell me counseling doesn't work. And as you can imagine, she had like this scowl on her face and <laughs> her arms crossed and obviously didn't want to be there. Her parent was making her come. And I was like, you're right. Counseling doesn't work. And she looked at me with this shocked look on her face. And she was like, what do you mean? Then what are you doing with your life? Why are you doing <laughs> this job? And I said, counseling doesn't work. You, you work. Um, It doesn't work if you don't. Um, I can talk to you till I'm blue in the face, but unless you're willing to put the work in, then you're right. It doesn't work. So that's my philosophy (laughs) about the whole situation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Earlier you shared, you just kind of mentioned that we all have, or a lot of counselors have gone through similar things than the person that they're counseling. Um, with you and your mental illness, can you just give us a, a brief little summary of, of what you've battled when it comes to mental illness? Yeah. Um, so, yes, I'm glad you said brief because if I <laughs> if it wasn't brief, we'd be here all day and this would be a very, very long podcast. We have to do about four different episodes <laughs> yes. just to get through it. Maybe, not, maybe more than four, actually. <laughs> Um, so I struggle with anxiety and depression. So... Um, what we know is that they kind of go hand in hand, really. Um, and so for me specifically, it tur- it starts off as like intrusive thoughts, things that I can't stop thinking about, worrying about, stressing about. Um, and then it turns into more than that, like anxiety. Um, and anxiety, um, unfortunately, likes to you know, burrow its roots and it starts to grow and it get bigger and bigger and causes panic attacks eventually. And you can only be in the cycle of anxiety for so long before your body's like, I'm done. Mm. I don't want to do this anymore. And so that's when depression hits where you're just so done. You can't stop crying. You don't want to do anything. You feel unmotivated. Um, So there's just a lot of things um, that kind of go on. So I know for me personally that anxiety starts first. And then if I don't get a hold of it when it's in the anxiety stage, then it can definitely turn into really um, dark depression. And is this something that you'd say you've dealt with for a long time? Or when did this kind of start? At least you remember realizing that you were battling this? Hmm. So if I could look back, knowing what I know now, I've probably been an anxious person since I was a little kid. I can remember just different times where I would be at Christmas concerts or spring concerts and I'd be like biting my nails to the point of bleeding because I was so anxious. My heart was pounding and I was sweating and freaking out. Um, And then, you know, not wanting to go to school, kind of getting those physical symptoms like nausea, vomiting, um, because I didn't want to face the bully at school kind of thing. Um, But it really, really started um, probably around the age of 16 when I really started to feel it and um, started to see doctors about it. And 
some of them had mentioned anxiety, but I was like, what am I, what am I anxious about? Like, yeah. what is it? Um, so that's kind of when it really started for me and it, and it just grew into a big old monster for <laughs> several years after that until I finally understood what was happening. So you've had different chapters, especially starting at age 16, where it's maybe looked a little bit different, but it's been that combination of anxiety and depression together. Yeah. So, you know, we all go through those really deep, ugly, dark times where where it even hurts to breathe, you know, Um, and... I've had a couple of those, you know, throughout the years. I've had those seasons, but then there's seasons of, like, peace as well. So it's not... I haven't been depressed for or anxious every single day for the last 15 years. It's been more like, you know, a little bit of anxiety here and there. And then, you know, sometimes it gets really bad and it grows. And then sometimes I can get it under control. Sometimes I can't. And then it turns into depression. And it's just this constant battle. Um, But but you've learned how to manage it a whole lot better. Right. I have tools now and I have awareness and insight and I know what my triggers are. And, um, as before I did not know what they were. Yeah. So how would you say that's impacted you as a counselor going through what you've gone through? The biggest thing that it's helped me with is empathy because when you have these feelings of, you know, anxiety, depression, you don't really know what it is. You kind of, um, feel lost and unheard and whatnot. Um, you feel kind of like you're crazy. Like you don't really know what's happening to you. And as for me, because I have my own personal experience, empathy has really been a thing that I've learned and a thing that, that I've, I want not to toot my own horn, but that I'm really good at because I know what it feels like to feel like nobody understands and that you're alone and that nobody cares about you and nobody cares how you feel and, um, and to feel scared all the time or to feel sad all the time. Like I have clients that come in like that and, and I can say I've been there, you know, and I'm not here to pay you just lip service and tell you what you need to hear or give you this cliche statement that's supposed to magically make you feel better. I have personal experience and I know that it's not going to be a short journey to get over this, but I'm here with you. And, you know, I know that you may not have hope right now, but I have hope for you. You can borrow some from me because (laughs) I know that in those times I needed to borrow hope from others too. Yeah. Empathy is a powerful powerful thing. And for someone to all of a sudden feel who maybe has felt alone for so long or misunderstood to all of a sudden have someone say, you're not crazy. Uh, That's very common. Actually, it's something I dealt with. That goes a really long way. And it breaks Mm -hmm. down a lot of walls when it comes Mm -hmm. to counseling. Uh, Would you say that counseling has come a long way when it comes to mental illness? I do. I think it has. I think there's... um it's very multicultural now as opposed to what it used to be in the past. I, you know, in our studies and things like that when we were in college, um, learning to be these therapists, <laughs> this sounds terrible, but it used to be a man's world, you know, specifically a white male. Um, wow. it w- They were 
it was just their world. Um, and now you see people from all walks of life, you know, you see older people, younger people, Hispanic people, black people, all sorts of people from different walks of life. Because um, think of an immigrant from, you know, India or Mexico or Africa, sometimes they're going to be more comfortable with someone that looks more like them. Definitely. Or somebody who maybe understands their culture a little bit better than, you know, maybe I would. Um, And so I really think we've come a long way in that sense where we have people that look different, have different um, theories and different styles of counseling. And so, yeah, I think it's come a long way. Um, But I also think that there's still a huge stigma around counseling. talking to a stranger about your problems and airing your dirty laundry to someone you don't know. Um, so we still have a long way to go, but I definitely think we've come a long way to, from where we were, you know, I think you're doing a good job in this episode, breaking down those lies and misconceptions and making counseling, making showing how it really is effective. Mm -hmm. Let's say someone walks in, they have some type of mental illness Mm-hmm. I know this is a very broad question, but just stick with me on this. How can counseling help them? Like more in a practical way. I walk in, I have mental illness. What can I expect to happen if I'm willing to put in the work? Yeah. Um, so, yes, it is a broad question because every person's different, of course, and everybody needs something a little different. Um, but initially... Definitely the first and most important thing to do is develop that relationship with your client. Um, Without that, you will not get anywhere. Um, This person has to be able to trust you, to feel comfortable with you, to feel like you're holding this safe space for them um, that's not judgmental and that you really care about helping them through whatever they're dealing with. So that's first and foremost. Without a relationship you might as well just go home. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. Um, and then after that, I would say continuing to build that rapport, um, but also loving them where they're at is one thing that I definitely think is super important. Like validation, validation is huge. Um, nobody wants to hear that, their feelings or their thoughts are invalid or that they don't matter or that they're not as bad as they think they are. So definitely validation, but also eventually pushing for change. So those are two very important components in in counseling, I think, is loving the person where they're at, validating them, you know, helping them understand that they're not crazy, that something's not horribly wrong with them, but also saying, and this needs to happen in order for you to reach those goals that you have and to have that life that you want to have and to feel better. So those are a couple of things. I don't know if I answered your question, but definitely you did. Uh, for someone, they're not coming in just to be able, it does help, but it doesn't stop with just getting it off their chest. Correct. It, it's got to take a step forward for it really to be effective. The goal is not just to end with you were able to share everything with someone. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing the the hope is that counseling doesn't last forever, that you're able to get to the place that you want to be. Mm-hmm. 
what would you say a counselor might define a win or success when it comes to counseling sessions with with someone? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously, again, like I said, it depends on the person, but you know, for maybe an adolescent who really doesn't want to talk when they get there and they are that mopey teen that has their arms crossed and they're like, I'm not going to talk to you kind of thing. Um, and just building that rapport with them and eventually them telling you something about them or being excited to see you or, you know, sharing something that maybe they haven't shared with anyone else is a win in that situation. You know, maybe somebody who has really severe anxiety and has panic attacks five days out of the seven, you know, coming in and saying, oh my gosh, I only had four panic attacks this week and not five or, you know, um, somebody with depression. I didn't cry yesterday. You know, that is a huge win. Um, it may seem little to someone who doesn't understand what's going on with this person, but for that particular person, that is huge. So small wins, small victories are great. And sometimes you don't see the fruits of your labor as a therapist too. You know, um, sometimes you're not the first person. Um, you're the person that plants the seed and, you know, helps break that stigma of what counseling is, but maybe you're not the person for them and that's okay. You know, not everybody is the right fit for everyone. That's why I think most counselors have a good heart because it's a hard job. And for someone, it's not the easiest job in the world by any means. It's a very emotionally draining uh, job. It takes a lot of school to get there. So lots of times people that are counselors they care and they want to just have what's best for the person in front of them, whether that's them ultimately getting that person to where they want to be or not. What would you say? So the, the important thing is progress is being made, however small that might be. What is the ultimate goal for someone whenever they say, okay, this is our last time of meeting. What's the ultimate goal? If that's not too broad of a question. <laughs> I think with counseling, everything's kind of broad and yeah. everything's kind of, you know, very tailored to the person that you're working with. But I think the most important thing is that autonomy. You want that person to be able to stand on their own two feet without, you know, you there, you know, once or twice a week. Um, um, one of the things that I like to say is I want to work myself out of a job. So basically, I don't, I have a job because there's a need, um, but I also want these people to get healing and have the skills and have that. So the goal isn't to be rid of anxiety or rid of depression or rid of life's problems or disorders or illnesses in general. The goal is to be able to manage and to have the skills and techniques to get through when those times do come. So ultimately, autonomy is what I would say, like being able to stand on your own two feet and being able to say, okay, I know I might have an anxiety attack next week. Who knows? I might or might not, but I know that I have the skills to handle it. And I know that in that moment, even though I feel like I'm going to die, I'm not going to die. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You knocked that question out of the park. That was really mm-hmm. answered well. The The important thing is not thinking it's going to disappear. It could, and that would be amazing, but it's learning how to manage it. 
uh, for me, when I look back at it, there's been two different seasons where I've had counseling uh, kind of ongoing for a, a matter of time. And the first time, I, it was a lot of breaking the stigma of what I thought counseling was, and it was really effective. I had a great counselor. Uh, and the second time, I knew what to expect more. And I went in that second time after I'd had a panic attack, just completely unsure of what was going on. I felt like I was crazy. And so my counselor did those things, validated me, helped me understood and understand that that was a very legitimate thing that, that happened to me and that I wasn't crazy and that it could get better. And she started to, first of all, we figured out through questions, she got me to figure out what exactly was leading me to that point. But then she mm-hmm. also taught me a lot of great skills, things that, like you said, I had in my back pocket that I could pull out whenever I'd feel that anxiety coming on. So what are some of those skills, strategies, maybe some exercises you might teach someone that's dealing specifically with anxiety, uh, maybe panic attacks? So there is one. So I my approach is dialectical behavioral therapy. So it's very much validation, loving you, accepting you where you're at. And pushing for change. I never put but in there. I put and because they happen together. They don't happen Mm -hmm. away from each other. You don't, just because you love somebody, it doesn't mean that you don't push for change. So you have, you want them together. So that's, that's the therapeutic approach that I like to use. So one of the skills that I like to use comes from dialectical behavioral therapy and it's called TIP. So it's T-I-P-P. So with two P's at the end. And it very much brings you kind of out of that fight or flight response into a more manageable state of mind. Um, So I don't know if you guys really know, but there's, there's three parts of the brain, obviously. And so it's the reptilian part of the brain. So we have that in common with reptiles. Um, and so reptiles don't really have feelings. They're kind of just in survival mode. They eat, they breathe, they sleep, they just survive. And then there's the mammalian part of the brain, which is that middle part of the brain that's responsible for emotions, fight or flight, all that good stuff. Um, all that good stuff and bad stuff, yeah. if you want to, <laughs> if you want to go there. Um, but if you think of a dog and you see, and if you're yelling at them, they do feel sad, right? Or they do feel angry when they're threatened and they're kind of that animalistic part comes out of them, even when they are domesticated. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's that human part of the brain, which is the prefrontal cortex that, crazy as it is it only it doesn't fully develop until you're in your mid-20s isn't that crazy that is really crazy it's so crazy i'm like then why is the age of adulthood 18 i don't understand (laughs) but you know that's just the way it goes anyway so the reason i say that is because a lot of the times when we have when we're having those really bad anxious moments um we're not operating on the human side where it's more logical so the prefrontal cortex is like in the, the area of your forehead and there's logic and reasoning and problem solving going on there. But when we're super anxious, we can't really tap into that. Wow. So we're operating more from that like animalistic part of the brain, um, which is very much like trying to protect us. There's emotions that go on in there. Um, 
that's when we get into those moments where, you know, we have those panic attacks and we think we're dying or we get so angry that we say things or we, we say things we don't mean or we punch walls or we break things because we're not thinking logically. So these tip skills are designed to help you get below. Um, so there's a scale from zero to 10. And so anything above a six is considered like danger territory where you really okay. can't access that logic and reasoning. Um, so tip is designed to help bring that emotion below that seven mark where you actually can tap into that logical thinking process. So these skills are super, super, super easy. Some people look at me and they roll their eyes when I share these skills because they are that easy. But when you don't have that logic and reasoning component of the brain connected, you really can't think of something super complex. You really can't practice those um, really complex skills. So you have to keep it simple. By the way, you're, you're teaching me something new. I didn't really realize all that about <laughs> yeah. the brain. Yeah. Um, so it's called TIP. And the T is responsible for temperature. So the goal behind that is to kind of throw your body into like, I guess, a different scenario. So you, you think of ice, not something hot. It has to be like something cold, like ice or icy water. So um, one of the things that you can do is hold ice in your hands um, kind of put ice on your wrists and under like your, behind your knees or like behind your elbows, um, behind your neck kind of thing. Because for some reason, there's a lot of science behind it. Um, you can't really think of like cold and anxiety at the same time, if that makes sense. Wow. And so, um, one of the really, really cool things is when you're having a panic attack, if you fill like a bucket of water, of really cold water and throw some ice in it, um, it's called like the dive reflex. And so you hold your breath and you dunk your head <laughs> into this ice cold water and it resets your nervous system. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's really cool. It's um, also really cool for um, self-harming impulses. So like if somebody who has like depression and has the tendency to self-harm, holding ice cubes in your hands is actually a really great alternative because it causes that like pain that they're kind of craving to help with that emotional pain, but it's not actually causing like cuts or, you know, physical harm. So it's a it's a really good one for that. So have have ice on hand. So have ice on hand. So it really helps slow down your heart um, because when you're in a cold environment, your body's natural instinct is to slow your heart rate down. And when you're anxious, your heart rate's super high, right? Yeah. So that's the whole purpose of the temperature with mm. the ice and the cold water. Um, and then the I is for intense exercise. That does not mean like go on a binge of exercising for a day, a full day. That means like for 20, 30 minutes doing some type of cardio. That one really helps with anxiety, but it also helps with someone who has really intense anger issues um, because it helps. Um, so basically when you're anxious or you're angry, like there's energy in your body that needs to go away. Mm -hmm. 
and it doesn't know how to get out. So basically your heart starts racing, you start sweating, you start freaking out. You're, you're kind of like, why is my heart racing? I'm there, nothing's happening. So why, why am I feeling this way? And so it kind of makes our body kind of go into that fear response or that, like, I don't know what to do with myself. So it's basically telling you, you need to do something about this. And so that's where like really good cardio comes into play, like jumping jacks, running, um, I don't know, whatever, whatever cardio you want to do, um, treadmill, elliptical, whatever you need to do, but at least 20 or 30 minutes to get that energy out of your body. Great. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah. Um, the P is pace breathing, um, which is pretty self-explanatory, except for the most important part is that you inhale through your nose and you pause and you exhale out of your mouth. It will not work if you don't do it in that sequence. And you also want your, your exhale to be the longest. Okay. So you breathe in through your nose. So for like, it's called four, seven, eight breathing. So you count to four as you're breathing in your nose. You hold it for seven counts. And then you exhale out of your mouth for eight counts. Four, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. And you just keep going, keep going over and over and over until it causes relaxation. Um, and then, so, and then the other P is progressive relaxation. So that is basically starting from the tip of your head down to the tips of your toes. You're basically um, controlling muscle relaxation. So you're tensing up your, your face and relaxing, tensing up your neck and relaxing, tensing up your arms and relaxing. And you work your way down your body while deep breathing and then work your way back up and continuing to do that because it's, you're basically being mindful. You're practicing mindfulness in those moments where you're just like, you're concentrating on what you're doing. Um, and you're just doing something very simple, like squeezing your fists and releasing them, squeezing them, releasing them while you're deep breathing. And it works wonders. And I know all of those sound silly and crazy and why do they work? But I promise you they do because I use them all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I can definitely see why and how those would help. Yeah, yeah. Would you mind leading us through some type of exercise? I know you just walked us through, but is there like a breathing exercise that you specifically use? I can do pace breathing. Um, that one's pretty easy and it actually works for more than just anxiety. It works for anger. It works for stress and worry. Um, it works for really a multitude of things, even depression, because you would, you would think depression is kind of the opposite of anxiety, but that oxygen that goes into your brain and that process and that control that you're using, that mindfulness really helps with a lot of emotions that kind of get out of our control. So when I think of four, seven, eight breathing, I envision like a rectangle. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how I help clients like do the visualization of this pace breathing. So if you visualize a rectangle, it's there's a short side and a long side, a short side and a long side, and then there's corners, right? Mm-hmm. So when I think of a rectangle, I think of the four, the inhale being the shortest, so that's on the short side. The corner is the seven because you're holding it right there and then the exhale is the long side and you're you're blowing out the air Mm. and then you do it again you inhale 
hold and you exhale and you inhale, you hold and you exhale. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that the visual representation? So, um, Obviously, the viewers are not going to be, or the listeners aren't going to be able to (laughs) see me doing this, but basically you're going to breathe in through your nose for four. So it's like, you hold for seven and you exhale out of your mouth for eight. And you just keep doing that until it resets that nervous system and it brings you back down to a place where you can actually maybe even use some of those skills um, that you've acquired throughout, you know, counseling or just in general. Um, You can actually um, tap into that prefrontal cortex and use, you know, you can start journaling at that point or you can start, you know, doing something else, writing a poem or you know, talking to somebody about it because you're not in panic mode anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, that right there is something that anyone that listens to this can take it without even having to go to a counseling session yet and already (laughs) be able to start using that. That's really easy tip, Mm T-I-P-P, but I can definitely see why it would be effective and how it would calm someone down. Uh, If I would have had that before my first panic attack or my, my panic attack, it would have made the world of a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I do want to say is though, if you have like really bad anxiety or you have like a certain emotion that you just maybe have a hard time controlling, it's really great to practice these skills even when you're not in the middle of like a crisis because it's I, the way I see it is like it's running a marathon. You're not going to go from couch to 26 miles. You're just not going to do it. You can't run. You can't go from couch to running 26 miles. It's, you have to train, and it's the same thing. If you're having a panic attack, you can't just necessarily pull out these skills. They will still work, but it's going to take longer for them to work. And maybe um, if you're not super familiar with them, it's going to be harder for you to be like, Oh, I can pull out my tip skills. But if you are practicing and it's always in the back of your mind, you're more likely to use them when you need them. That makes total sense. So working on it, even if it's not a super intense moment, just Mm -hmm. training, getting used to it so that it, you jump to it and you think about it that much easier whenever you are in a situation where you really need it. Yes. For someone that is listening to this and deals, they know they deal with mental illness or they aren't sure, but they think, hey, maybe I do, but they haven't wanted to go to counseling, what would be your encouragement to them? I would say that the majority of the people that I've seen, as well as, you know, just my own personal journey, my only regret is that I didn't get the help sooner. Mm. And so obviously we don't want to live with like regrets, but, um, I think that if you have tried to deal with it on your own and it's not working, you don't have anything to lose by going to someone else who can really just help you and be kind of that person who is, um, I don't know what the word is like, um, unbiased that Mm -hmm. really just doesn't know you from Adam really they just they don't know anything about you but they're just there to help you and they have no um, judgments about you whatsoever you can spill your heart out and 
you know, be free of that because sometimes that's what you need as well is to be free of that and to also gain the skills to, to learn how to manage it. So that would be my thing is my regret is that I didn't go sooner, but also, um, you can borrow hope from your therapist. Um, I often tell my clients as I know you don't have hope right now, but I have hope for you. And so you can borrow it from me because I know what it's like not to have that. I so. like that phrase. Yeah. Why not give it a try? Mm-hmm. What do you have after, to lose? Yeah, right? story You're already after story shows, <laughs> shows that it's effective. And I can look at my own life. You can look at your life of mm-hmm. going to counseling, but then also being on the other end of it, that it's effective and it's worth looking into. I want to ask, I always try to give this option. If someone's listening to this and they have some questions would it be okay if they sent those to me and then I could pass those on to you about sure. counseling questions? Yeah, so absolutely. So if you if you got some questions or just want to know a little bit more about specifically what Amalia was talking about, then you can send me the question and I'll get it to her and we'll try to get it back to you as soon as we can. But we want to be a resource. That's mm-hmm. what we're trying to do and that's the reason why we're having this discussion is we want to break down some of those walls. We want to help explain some different resources that can get us to where we're managing our mental health in a much better way. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being here with us. You did a great job explaining all of that. Thank you. Of course. I was glad to be here. And maybe we (laughs) can get you back on another time uh, and do another episode, but really enjoyed it. Amalia, you're the best. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not about the best, but thank you. <laughs> hey, hey, just take you. You got it. Take it. You're the best. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but I hope everyone has a great rest of their day. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I will see you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and share with others so that they can join us on this journey. I'll see you next time.